So let me start this morning with a question. What do you do when you hit a personal wall in your faith? Last week we talked about this time in your walk with Jesus. If you call yourself a Christ follower, you will have one of these moments where you kind of have a crisis of belief. That's what we talked about last week, a crisis of belief. Just to kind of share one that I had. Um, I uh, took my team up to a regional training uh, last uh, yesterday, and it was a blast. Um, but I was reminded of a crisis of belief that I had uh, about uh, a year or so ago. Um, I thought it was timely, and I can share it with you guys. I think I shared it once before. Um, but uh, we had uh, a great kind of overseer of Scott's Bluff um, that I didn't really know personally, but he was a strong acquaintance in my life. He, uh, we gleaned from a few things that he had. Uh, he was a, a great pastor of a very influential church in Denver, Colorado. And uh, I got a call one evening Saturday before I got to preach on Sunday uh, from my friend Tyson. He says, hey, uh, Pastor Barry Paulzer uh, took his own life. And it uh, hit me like a rock. And I wasn't uh, as close to Pastor Barry as Tyson was. If, if you guys know this, uh, Pastor Barry spoke at our very first Biker Sunday here. If you guys can remember, he had the big blue chopper uh, right here. And he actually had like a whole trailer full of choppers. Um, but uh, he was here speaking. And a couple years ago, uh, he was in a very, very dark place. And uh, he took his own life. And it shook me to the core for two things. One is... Uh, Someone that I knew took their life. That shakes anybody, right? Anyone that you know that takes their life. That's just, that's just horrible. Tooth, the second thing is it's a pastor that took his own life. And it shook me because it, let, it told me that if, if he could get to that dark place, if he got there, I could be there. And I don't want to be there. And I thought, man, if, if, if a great man of God that, that has done so many great things got to this place and took his own life, God, are, are you really good? After all, he was in the business of you. Why would this happen? It was a crisis of belief. Towards the end of this message, we're going to sing a song that we've sang many, many times, probably hundreds of times. It's called It Is Well. And it talks about grandeur, the earth has quaked before. And it goes on and it pretty much talks about what happens when you hit a personal wall in your faith with Jesus Christ. So let me ask you that question one more time. What do you do when you hit a personal wall in your faith? What do you do when you find yourself wrestling with doubts and uncertainty? What do you do when you want to believe that God is good? Because I think we believe that, right? God is good, but life doesn't seem that way. What happens where we're kind of stuck between that really, really hard place? And really, this is what we're talking about in this series called Hope in the Dark. Everyone say Hope in the Dark. We're talking about hope in the dark. And it's from the book of Habakkuk. Everyone say Habakkuk. Now that you've cleared your throat from the phlegm and all that stuff that goes into there, this is, what, this is the, the guy that we're talking about. Last week's sermon uh, was really heavy. At least, at least it was for me. I, I talked uh, for many from our church and says, man, that was a really, really heavy sermon. But it was a timely sermon. It was a heavy sermon, but at, at the same time, it was refreshing, which was really interesting because if you're new with us, I said this last week, that this message series is a three-part message series. This series is not a fairy tale series, meaning that we start off really, really good, and we, have, we introduce a bad guy, and we have this tension between the hero and the bad guy, and the hero beats the bad guy, and the hero marries the princess, and everyone lives happily ever after, and the credits 
end with a big hit song that a kid won't stop singing for now till eternity, right? That's the fairy tale message. And in fact, a lot of sermons are like that. It's a very, uh, I, I preach fairy tale messages, meaning that we make sure at the end we give you a solution that you can take home and you're able to eat lunch very comfortably. But this is not that series because really that's not the book of Habakkuk. Really, that's not the life of Habakkuk. Every week I uh, reevaluate the messages and I pray and think through our current series. And I said, uh, I said this one last week. Uh, this is the series I've been putting off for many, many reasons. But it's the one series that it just lines up where our church is at right now. To give you a little inside glimpse, because my job as a pastor, you know, uh, I only work one day a week. That's only on Sundays. That's a joke. You can laugh at that because I don't. Okay. <laughs> Um, but no, throughout the week, um, I spend a lot of time with you guys, and I, uh, I rejoice with you in the good times, and uh, I cry with you in the bad times, and, and that's, that is my privilege to do that with you. And so uh, it seems like when we started this series, the last two weeks, it seems like everything is just coming down on us at once. And I'm not talking about church as a whole. It was, I'm actually talking about individuals, individuals. We've had people lose their jobs, multiple people lose their jobs. Marriages are rocky. A lot of marriages are, are kind of at this cusp of like, what do we do? Parents are struggling with their kids. Kids are struggling in school. And maybe this has been going on because mostly this is, has been going on, but it's just been brought to my attention the last couple weeks. And so I was kind of thinking about this. I'm like, I think this message lines up with where our church is at because I believe this, and this is my own opinion, this is my own theology, and you may disagree with it, but I believe when we are close to a blessing, the enemy likes to attack even harder. When he realizes that God is about to do something amazing, he's going to do everything that he can to stop it. And the best thing he does is not exactly attack the rock church as a whole, but he will attack you in your house. Because if he can get your personal life messed up, he knows he can get the church messed up. And I need to let you know this morning, as this isn't a fairy tale message, I can let you know this morning is don't let the enemy have an upper hand in your situation this morning. Do not let him get that foot inside your door. Do not let him inside the threshold of your parenting and your marriage and your job and your finances. This is a fight that you need to fight. And whether you believe it or not, it's a fight that's already been won by Jesus. And so this morning, even though this is not a fairy tale message, you need to know that you can have hope in the dark. That you can have hope with Jesus. So don't let the enemy win and keep fighting. And that's a whole nother, that's a freebie sermon for you this morning. But that's why we're going through this, this whole book of Habakkuk. Because I think even though you, if you read the three chapters, his life is not a fairy tale life, but yet at the very end he says something very profound that I'm not going to give away. You're going to have to be here next week to hear it. Or you can do diligence and just read your Bible. But he says something so profound, I'm like, oh, we need to get this. The Capital C Church needs to get this. And so my prayer for everyone through this series is that if you're experiencing some really dark times right now, that you will find hope in the dark. So while this series is heavy, I believe this series is timely, and I encourage you, whether your life is good or not right now, 
Lean in today, and next week we're going to go through this book, and we're going to conclude this whole thing. So just really quick, a quick recap. Uh, the book of Habakkuk, he was actually a prophet of God from about 2,600 years ago, 600 years before Christ was born. And he was a prophet during this uh, section of Israel called Judah. And Judah was not prospering during this time. In fact, they were very impoverished. And we read chapter 1 last week, and we read that Judah is actually a time of, of uh, intense injustice and violence and cruelty. And Habakkuk is saying, you know what? Nothing is going well in this country anymore. Sounds kind of similar today, don't it? Nothing's going well in this area anymore. God, I don't see you like I saw you before. Nothing is going well. In fact, we can say it feels like the country is going to hell in a handbasket. Because it seems like injustice and cruelty and hell is just taken over. This is Habakkuk. And so we read that he's going to God with this message on behalf of the people, which is very unorthodox because a prophet's job was to speak the message from God to the people. But he says, you know what, God, we are so fed up with everything that's happening. I actually, I have something to tell you. God, I have some complaints. I have some issues. I've got some things that I need to correct with you right now. We've been there, haven't we? God, I've got some issues. I've got something stirring me. that I feel like things have not been done right to me. I feel like there's injustice. I feel like there's been wrong. God, you, I've, I've, got, I've got a little something to say to you. That's Habakkuk. In chapter 1, we read that Habakkuk is just full. He's just complaining to God. He complains that he feels like God isn't doing anything. He complains that God isn't doing enough. He complains that what is happening is unjust, and he's left wondering if God even cares. And we've all done that, right? Like, like we've we've, we have complaints, we have issues, we have doubts with God, and we even discuss... We even discussed that it's actually okay to complain to God and maybe even doubt. It's okay to do that. Because do you remember how we concluded the message? Let your doubts drive you to God, not away. Let your doubts, your crisis of belief, the personal wall in your faith, let it drive you to God and not away. So Habakkuk, he's complaining to God. And finally, God replies and he says, hey, Habakkuk, stand back and be amazed because I'm about to do something that you yourself can't even imagine. And this is the point in the story where we're like, oh, man, the hero's about to be introduced. Everything's going to go well. He's going to marry the princess and everything will be happily ever after. And that's not it. God actually says, hey, um, you know, like your mortal enemies, the Babylonians, I'm actually going to raise them up and they're going to start this conquering quest and they're going to conquer you. And Habakkuk is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I've been praying. I have been fasting. I have been in my prayer closet. I have been doing all this stuff. And you're telling me, God, that the answer to my prayer is not favor and blessings, but yet you're going to actually allow the Babylonians to take over us and conquer us. God's like, yeah. And that's where we left Habakkuk. We left him wondering in this dark time, which is just a hard place to be in our own issues with God, isn't it? Just wondering. As Frozen 2, it's into the unknown. Anyone here see Frozen 2? Did that fall really flat? You guys gotta watch Frozen 2. It's a good movie. 
But chapter 1, Habakkuk was about wandering in the dark time. You can catch up on our series. This is all recorded. It's a hard place to be in our own issues with God. But chapter 2, chapter 2 is where in the next few moments we're going to find ourselves in even a harder place than wandering. Pastor Brown, you're telling me that this is going to be a heavier message than last week? Yes. Welcome to the Rock Church. We try to encourage you and bless you and get you out of here. We're going to go from wondering to what I call the place of waiting. We're going to go from wondering to the place of waiting. Here's the thing about waiting. Who here likes to wait? No one, right? We hate to wait. In fact, we hate waiting so much that we want instant gratification that delivery no longer takes two to five weeks like it used to. But now it's what? It's prime, baby. Two days or else I'm giving Amazon a bad review. Right? It better be here in two days. And now they even got you so much that they tell you, well, the first day when you order, you got to give another two days. So it's actually disguised as three-day delivery, which we blow a fuse over. In fact, we hate waiting so much that fast food restaurants, like if you order a pizza, they understand your agony of waiting the 25 minutes for your large pepperoni pizza, that they created an app that you can track the progress of your pizza pie. If you order from Domino's, they have cameras that you can actually watch them make your pizza. How sad is that? Like how much, how bad do you have to hate the aspect of waiting where you have to like kind of lord over them through your phone? Where's my pizza? Where's my pizza? And then you can track, GPS track, your delivery guy to your doorstep. You know why they do that? Because we hate Waiting. We freak out when social media won't fully load or we watch on YouTube and it's still buffering. It takes 30 seconds to buffer. And we're like, YouTube, this sucks. I said that word because I hate waiting that much. In fact, we have lost the art of waiting that I think we forgot this. I, I, gotta, I gotta play it really quick. I gotta play it really quick. Let's see if I can get down here. Right here, I'm gonna play it for you. This is going to cause you guys to cringe because this is how much you hate waiting. Let's see if I can make sure that's unmuted because I mute my phone like a good pastor. Uh, can we play that here? We're not done yet. Seconds more. That used to be a thing. <laughs> in fact, in some parts of the Sand Hills, that still happens. We have forgot the art of waiting. We hate waiting. Wondering is no fun, but waiting is far worse, especially while waiting while you're hurting. Waiting while you're hurting. And that's where we're at today in chapter two of Habakkuk. Waiting while you're hurting. And today as you take notes, I want to give you a few things while you wait. These things are seen in Habakkuk's posture as he waits 
while he hurts. So let's look at Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. Remember, he was just told by God that he's raising up the Babylonians to take over and to execute judgment. And Habakkuk is, is wrestling with all of this. And we see Habakkuk's response. I want you to take good notes on this because I believe this is a response that we can learn. It's a response that is very godly, and I think it's something that will draw us close to him. Habakkuk 2.1, this is his response to God. He says this. He says, I will climb up to my watchtower, and I'll stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Now let's stop right there. Put your finger right there because I want us to see something. Remember, Habakkuk has been praying for God to do something. God responds with a plan that involves Judah's enemies rising up to take over Judah. And Habakkuk is angry and confused. And his response was, fine, I'll wait. His response wasn't, okay, Enough with it all, God. I'm not your prophet anymore. I'll see you later. Like Israel wasn't the only nation at this time. There were better nations to be at probably. God, I'm on vacay. Taking two weeks of my sick leave right now, God. I'm good to go. No, he doesn't even run away. He says, okay, okay, okay. I will actually put myself in a place, a posture really, of seeking after the Lord. I'm going to climb my watchtower and I'm going to stand at my guard post and I'm going to wait and see how God will answer my complaint. Let me put it this way. He didn't draw away from God during his season of hurting. He drew nearer to God. He didn't draw away from God. He drew nearer to God. And while he waits, he does this thing. He does this. First point in your notes is this. Habakkuk listens. He listens. And this can't be easy because while he's waiting and listening, he's also hurting. And I don't know about you, but at least for me, I have a really hard time of listening to someone in the midst of my pain. When I am hurting, the last thing I'm going to tell myself is to, Vaughn, open your ears so you can listen to everyone else. In fact, the best way that I can put this is uh, we, we have three kids. My wife uh, delivered all of them because I don't know who else would deliver them. Um, but for some reason, this might be TMI, but, you know, if you're going to be a husband someday, you better, you know, you're going to hear it now. But at every birth of my kid, I got stuck at the wrong end. First time, I almost passed out. I had to sit down. Second time, felt like a football coach. Come on, babe, you got this, you're doing this. And she is just screaming in pain, and she's pushing, and she's sweating, and a whole bunch of, there's this, it's, it's chaos, and it's a mess. And I'm like, I look at the guy who's doing the baby, I'm like, why did you choose this for a job? And I'm like, why am I at this end? And like, who decided to get her pregnant? And I'm like, what's going on with all of this stuff? And, and we're, we're cheering her on, and, I, and then she's in the midst of all this pain, and all this pain. And the nurse says one thing, Jill, 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 you've got to listen during this. Because if you don't listen, something could go wrong. If you don't listen to when you're supposed to push, to breathe, to take a break, to push again, something could go wrong. In fact, I would say listening in the midst of your pain is crucial. Listen in the midst of your hurt. Rather 
what we usually do is we don't want to listen. At the very least, we don't want to listen to God, right? What we do is we tell God what we think should happen. In the midst of our pain, we don't listen, we actually speak. God, my spouse betrayed me, so I need you to restore this marriage. God, I lost a loved one. I need you to comfort me. God, there's injustice in the world. We need you to intervene. God, I'm hurting because of this, and I need you to do that. In the midst of our hurt, we lay out our demands. And I would argue this morning that in the midst of our hurt, we actually need to posture ourselves in a place of listening. And it's so hard to do. Habakkuk, he, he doesn't list out his demands and says he climbs the watchtower, stands at his guard post, meaning that he is seating himself in the best possible position to hear from God. And so he does. And he begins his waiting process. Some of you, you have been waiting on God for a long time. I know that. Some of you, you have been waiting on God for a while, and it seems like maybe God forgot or maybe God went silent in your prayers. You've been praying for that baby, praying for that spouse, praying for that, that job, praying through the season of hurt, praying in the midst of your dark valley, and you're waiting, and you're trying to hear God's voice, but you get nothing but silence. I understand that place. I have been in that place. And I need you to know, don't abandon your guard post. Don't climb down the watchtower and leave. Instead, position yourself in the best possible place to listen from God. In fact, let me say it this way. Silence does not mean God is absent. If you're getting silence, it does not mean God has left. God says he will never forsake you. In fact, he draws near to those who draw near to him. God will speak, and he may speak through a channel that you are not looking for. He could be speaking right now through this message. He could speak to you through a song. He could speak through a dream, a vision, a close friend. You might even hear the audible voice of God or through the silent voice of God or just a still, quiet voice where you know deep down in your spirit that had to be God. But no matter what, position yourself in the best possible place to listen. But here's the thing. Sometimes God will speak, and you're not going to like his response. We know this from Habakkuk chapter 2, chapter 1 and 2. There's actually another story in 2 Corinthians I want to kind of really quick go over before we move on. There's a guy by the name of Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul, he was probably one of the greatest apostles we read in the new testament he's in jail for preaching jesus everywhere in fact if you know apostle paul he's kind of in jail all the time right he's in jail pretty much all the time and this is nothing unusual for paul being in jail because most of his letters he tells us that he's actually glad to be in jail because now he can tell everyone about jesus in his confines and no one can leave they're forced to listen that's like a very good positive outlook isn't it but in this specific area we see paul do something for the very first time he's actually wrestling with something Scripture calls it a thorn in Paul's flesh. Something is bothering him so immensely, he's actually pleading for God to take it away from him. A lot of scholars, they, they, we don't know what it is, but they think it could be chronic migraines, or maybe he was struck with blindness, or, 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 or I don't know if the guy was singing, let it go to the next jail cell the whole time. He's like, please shut up, like shut up, shut up, right? 
Again, guys, watch Frozen. Come on. But whatever was bothering him was so bad. He was actually pleading to God, God, would you take this away from me? And he's praying and he's praying. And God says, you know what? He responds. He says, let me tell you something, Paul. Draw close. I'm not going to take it away from you. I'm not going to take it away. Because my power is made perfect in your weakness. Habakkuk, he's in a place of weakness. God's power will be made great in him. But it's going to be through a route that maybe we don't prefer. We must listen because God does hear a cry. Silence does not mean he's absent. And God's reply may not be what we expect. So while you're up in the watchtower and you're at your guard post and you're listening, the second thing Habakkuk does is that he writes. He writes. Remember, Habakkuk positioned himself in the best place for him to listen to God, and now God is replying, and this is what Habakkuk does. Habakkuk 2, he says this, Then the Lord said to me, Write my answer to you plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. When we wait during our hurting, we listen, and when God responds, we better write it down. This is actually something a lot of us don't do, but we need to start doing. When God speaks, we should document it. We should record it. We should write it down. This part is a very super super practical part of the message. Many of us, we have like Bible journals and prayer journals, and we write down what God has spoken. And that's super important because if we don't document it, church, we don't write it down, we what? Forget it. If we don't write it down, we will forget it. Why is this important? It's important because you and I, we have a spiritual enemy, church that his main job is to steal, kill, and destroy. And if he can take away what God wants for you, he's going to do it. But the best way for you to remember what God has spoken is write that thing down. Write that down. It's like etching it on your heart. And he can't take that. Write that down. The enemy wants to take from you what God wants to give you. I mean, check check this out. God wants to give you faith. He wants to give you hope. He wants to give you a word and a message. And the enemy wants to take all of that away and distract you and destroy what you heard. I mean, let me put it this way. See if this has happened to you. There's a lot of times before I got into this habit of writing things down, I would wake up and I would open my Bible and I would read some verses. And I'd get something from God and I'd be like, hmm, God, that's so good, right? Come on now, like we all like, like, we're like mm, God and coffee, it's just a good time. And so I'm like, yes, like this is good. And I'm like, today's gonna be a good day. And so I'm marching out, I get the kids awake, and I'm like, good morning, everyone. Like God is here, and we're all happy. And then my kids begin to be kids. Aspen wakes up, and she's Aspen. Michael wakes up, and he's Micah. Brooklyn wakes up, and she's Brooklyn, meaning that I tell Aspen to get dressed, and so she does. And she comes out wearing shoes on the wrong feet, wearing leggings that are a very flamboyant color, wearing a backwards shirt and a big puffy jacket and this new fuzzy hat that she just loves. And she's ready to go to school. And I say very kindly, sweetheart, that's not what you're wearing. And at that point, we tell any kid, that's not what you're doing. That's what they're doing. 
So she's having her meltdown. Micah has gotten this place where he is the most righteous person in the house. Where he goes up to Aspen and says, Aspen, what is wrong? Tell me your feelings. And he understands how Aspen speaks and Aspen tells him. And the Micah turns to us like, I'm the bad guy. Says, Aspen's upset. You need to fix something, Daddy. She wants to wear this. Why can't she wear this? And I told Micah, I said, you listen here. No, I don't do that. But I said, Micah, in my good Christian voice, Micah, the love of my life, be quiet because you're not the parent. And Brooklyn, the whole time, is pushing down on my jeans and says, Daddy, 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 Daddy. I'm not done yet. Daddy, 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 Daddy. And that's all she does. She doesn't want anything. That's just what she does. And so we load them up, and I get them to school, and everyone's just having not a very good day already in the morning. And I get done, and I get to my peace and quiet, sit in my office. I'm like, what did God say again? Like, I know I spent time with God, but, man, it really doesn't feel right now, like, because my joy is all gone. <laughs> Write it down. Write down what God has said. It's super practical. Document. Write it down. Make it clear. So you position yourself to wait on God. You listen. You write it down. Here's the third thing, is that you continue to wait. Well, this is the whole thing on waiting, right? Well, yes, but you keep waiting. And sometimes you wait for a few months. Sometimes you wait for a few years. Sometimes you wait for decades. But you keep waiting. And waiting is the hardest part because you position yourself to listen from God. You listen. You heard it. You wrote it down. And what you heard has not came to pass yet. So you're left waiting and wondering. A lot of us were right at this point. You've heard from God. You know what he promised you. You know what he said that he'll do in your life. But nothing has happened yet. We almost want God to be like Amazon Prime. I order my blessing, it better be here in two days. God's like, no. And I, I'm wondering this. Maybe God doesn't give you the blessing during the timely fashion that you want it, because if he would to give it to you, you wouldn't know how to handle it. It's almost like giving a brand new driver a Lamborghini for their first car. It's a, it's a great car. It's fast, a lot of horsepower, but you need to learn how to handle it properly. And so God may allow a time in the valley, you draw close to him so you can know God's heart on how to handle the blessing. That's my theology. I don't know if you guys agree with that. But I know if a lot of times if God would intervene when I thought he should, I would have messed it all up. God knows. A lot of us, we're waiting. We're in this part of waiting. And the waiting is so difficult and so painful, and it's just the worst because you're left waiting. And the big question is this, how long do I have to wait on God? 
How long do I have to wait on God? And here's the answer. You wait on God until it comes to pass. You wait on God until it comes to pass. So back at 2.3 says this. The vision, the vision he just told him to write down. Remember, write it down, make it clear. The vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently. If the vision seems slow in coming, wait patiently. If the promise seems slow in coming, wait patiently. For it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. You wait, church, and you wait, and you don't stop waiting until it comes to pass. And I know we have an idea of what God says to us when it should happen, but let me tell you, if God would listen to our advice on on when he should intervene, we would actually mess things up even more. Because we don't have all knowledge. We don't have all power. We're not God. He knows everything. We don't. He has all the wisdom and knowledge. We have nothing. He knows the best time to intervene. In fact, the, 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 the word for this is the Hebrew word for moed. It's like M-O-W-E-D. It's like mode, but it's moed. And it means this. It means God's timing is perfect. The best possible appointed time for God to intervene is this right here, moed. And while we're waiting, we need to wait for Moed. We got to wait for that best appointed time. Why? Because God's timing is perfect. We have to wait. And we have to keep on waiting. And here's, here's the last point. The reason we wait is because if we would try to do it with our own strength, we'd mess it all up. Let me say it this way. If it's not God's time to intervene... You can't force it to pass. If it's not God's time, you can't force it to pass. But when it is God's time, you can't stop it. When if it's not time, if it's not God's time, you can't force it to pass. When it is God's time, you cannot stop it. Yeah, Vaughn, but it seems like God has taken forever. If it seems slow in coming... Wait patiently. Yeah, Vaughn, but you told me like 10 years ago that'll happen and it hasn't happened. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently. Vaughn, I've been like wanting a spouse. I've been wanting kids. I've been wanting all of this. And it's, it's just, I can't find my spouse. We, we can't have kids. I know what he's promised. I'm just about to take it in my own hands. I, I just, I've been here for a while. Possibly, you don't understand. If it seems slow in coming, church, wait patiently. Because it will surely take place. Maybe write this one down. God's delays are not God's denials. God's delays are not God's denials. Just because you're waiting, it does not mean God said no. God will intervene at Moed at the best appointed time for him to jump in. And so we listen and we write and we wait. And all this is, church, if you can sum this up, this is a lifestyle of faith. 
This is a lifestyle of faith, of God's faithfulness. Look at this, Habakkuk 2.4. It says, look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. The righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. Remember, this is not a fairy tale message because all of this is done, church. Listening, writing, waiting. It's done in the season of hurt. It's done when you don't want to listen at all. Last week, I talked about a thing that I was wrestling with our daughter, Aspen. You know, really, in that, what I shared, I was very vulnerable and transparent. You can listen to it online. But really, that was just one thing on the list of all the things I'm wrestling with. And a lot of people, they, they, they know this list that Jill and I have. We're, we're just wrestling, like, God, why, 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 why would you do this? Why would this happen? And well-meaning Christians, sometimes well-meaning Christians are the worst. Can, can I say that? Like, <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about? They would say things to us like, you know, God gives special kids to special people. No, he doesn't. There's a lot of kids with special needs that have really horrible parents. We're investing in one other little girl with Down syndrome that her parents have been on meth and just in and out of jail the whole time. And so we're wrestling with all of this stuff. And they try to encourage us. You know, it just falls flat, if I can just be honest. We'll smile and say thank you. But I have learned something that has helped me get through all of this wrestling, these dark times. You see, I, I think God allows something to happen in our life that will teach us to run to him. We talked about that last week. But this thought really changed my outlook when I'm in a dark time. And it's not a super positive thing. Let me warn you. But I pray it bolsters your faith as we conclude this. What if God not only allowed it, but what if he chose you for it? What if God not only allowed it, but what if he chose you for it? I know this seems really crazy, but what if the hardship you're experiencing God chose you for it. Now, I only say this because of, of, of what I read in Job. Satan walks in front of God and Satan's doing his deal and God is like, hey, do you know what? If we can turn on the piano just a little, a little bit, please. God's like, you think you know people, but I've got a guy who is so righteous and so after my heart that I know for a fact he's not going to abandon me. Why don't you try to go do whatever you think you can do? But let me tell you, it's not going to work because I know Job. So I'm going to choose him for this. Most of us, we know the story. Satan does everything he can do. Job loses absolutely everything. And Job has his complaints. He has his issues with God. He's wrestling and he's embracing. But he always stays faithful. 
to God. So I have to ask you, what if God chose you for this hurtful season? I know that seems so weird because God is a good God and, and he, will, he only wants good things. He would never do that. I believe God does not create bad things, but I know that we live in a fallen world. And so bad things do happen and our faith is tested. What if God's like, do you know what? Try that guy. He's not gonna budge. He's faithful. I don't know about you, but that bolsters my faith. Like, yeah, I, yeah, God, I, yeah. As my generation says, come at me, bro. It ain't gonna work. I know who my God is. I know who he says I am. I know that in the darkest of times, he's not gonna forget me. Bring it on. What if God chose you? Here's the last thing. It's kind of a rabbit trail here, but I feel like we need to, I need to say this. When it comes to hardships, a lot of times we say we just need to endure it. We need to endure it. Which is true. Enduring is a passive state of saying, I'm going to stay right here and be safe while the storm goes around me. I'm enduring the storm. What if we'd stop enduring the storm and actually do what Habakkuk does? We wrestle it and we embrace it. We wrestle it and we actually embrace it. What if we stopped enduring? What if we actually just embraced it? Like, yeah, I know. Yeah, I gotta go through chemo. Yeah, I know what God said about my kids. I know I don't have any. I know. I know I haven't found a spouse yet. I get it. And God, I embrace this season that I'm in right now. Meaning I understand the reality that I see and I also understand who you are in the middle of my crisis. What if we stopped enduring and we actually embraced it? You're embracing the hardship as you wait for God to step in at this appointed time. If it seems slow, church, wait patiently, wrestle, embrace, position yourself in the best possible way to listen to God. Write down what he says and wait patiently for God's perfect timing. Wait patiently for God's perfect timing. Wait patiently for God's perfect timing in the middle of your hurt. Would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes?